and welcome to another episode of Unearthing Paranormalcy, the podcast that digs into the paranormal and tries to find normalcy in the topic. I'm Amy. I'm Dave. I'm Chad. I'm Ethan. And we're on week two of our quarantine podcasting extravaganza, and we're all going a little <laughs> crazy. <sighs> One. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> I hope you guys are all safe from the madness of the coronavirus. I hope you got stocked up on toilet paper. Yeah, and if you do, send me a couple rolls, because I, <sighs> I, I missed Walmart. I didn't get it in time. But... <laughs> Our podcast shall go on because that's what we do. Because the show must go on. Now, we do have a new review to read. We're going to share this review with you guys. Because you know what? It's important that we address everything our listeners have to say. So, Dave? This comes from Daryl. And he doesn't recommend unearthing paranormalcy. Too many lame jokes take away from trying to sound any amount professional. Stupid sex jokes at every turn. Quote, I felt a presence in the bedroom. Unquote. Reaction to this line. Quote, ba ha 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 ha. Unquote. <laughs> Stop laughing so fucking much. The girl on this podcast needs to grow up a whole lot. I enjoy content like this, but this podcast is like a bunch of high school kids drinking their first beer. Thank you for your input. We appreciate it. And we will not do shit about changing our podcast. Because we do the podcast for us. And we have fun. And that's the important thing. And we apparently have some listeners who like us. Because our numbers keep going up. So, Sorry. It's Daryl. Darnold. Doodle. We're not for everybody. That's for sure. No. That's fine. Whatevs. Um, I do like the fact that I'm the one that needs to grow up. Yeah, Amy and I are the ones who do all the sexual innuendos. Apparently, women are not supposed to make sex jokes. Uh, oops. How dare you? I like my women in the kitchen, not telling sex jokes. <laughs> Put That's your MAGA hat on and leave us alone. Yeah, but thank you for taking time out of your day to write a, a nice long post about how you feel about us. It makes us feel important that you took that time out to do that. So, I mean, not everybody does that. So we appreciate you. And now we're going to move on to this subject and the topic of the hour, hour and a half, two hours. Who knows how long this will go? We'll find out. Too many sex jokes about brooms. (laughs) We're going to discuss Wicca and Wicca as the religion and uh, that it is. Um, we already did a podcast on witchcraft and we talked a little bit about Wicca in that, but we didn't get too in depth because we knew we were going to do this episode later. So with that being said, Dave, do you want to get us started off with some of the history of Wicca and some of the information you have about Wicca? I sure will. Professor Ronald Hutton of the University of Bristol has observed Wicca is, quote, the only religion which England has ever given the world, unquote. I guess the professor had never heard of Thelema. Then from England, Wicca has spread throughout Europe, North America, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, and is continuing its journey globally. Some major influencers of Wicca, or at least Gardnerian Wicca, are Gerald Gardner and Doreen Valiente. Passed down in published books, 
and in secret written and oral teachings to their initiates in the Bricket Wood Coven. Wicca is typically, but not always, duotheistic, meaning there is a reverence to a god and a goddess. Initially, this was the horn god and his lower consort, the moon goddess. But like most religions, Wicca has also evolved over time and is fractured into many sects referred to as covens. <laughs> Sex. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't a female voice either. These deities may also be regarded in a henothestic way. What I mean by this is that there is a recognition of a pantheon of deities while simultaneously not denying the existence of other pantheons of deities. So basically they can call upon whatever deity they need for their rituals. Kind of. More what I'm going for here is that like, they're not saying that the horn god is the only god and the moon goddess is the only goddess. Yeah. They're saying, yeah, there's a bunch of gods and goddesses. We just like these two. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, practitioners just prefer to give reverence to one or a select few of their choosing. This is typically seen within the movement as referring to the god as the great horned god and the goddess as the great goddess. The word great connoting a deity that contains many aspects within their own nature. This is also seen in the terms triple god and triple goddess. Three aspects to each deity, which should be thought of as two godheads encompassing all the characteristics of three deities. And the number three shows up a lot in Wicca. Mm-hmm. Robert Graves' book, White Goddess, published in 1948, uses the term the white goddess of birth, love, and death to define the three aspects of the triple goddess, nowadays typically referred to as maiden, mother, and crone. He asserts that most mythologies from the east to the west have this key element. For example, for the Greeks, it was the three goddesses Persephone, Demeter, and Hecate each an aspect of the one great goddess. Each also had extremely strong connections to the three worlds, much like the maiden, mother, and crone of Wicadu. The underworld is observed in the persona of Hades and the themes of sex, loss, and death. Sex. <laughs> Metaphors linking them to earth are maternal values, nurturing, and the earth itself. Their connection to the metaphysical or upper world lies in the themes of rebirth, healing and transformation, magic, dreams, and prophecies, figuring prominently in their myths. In Hindu beliefs, Tridevi is a concept of joining a triad of eminent goddesses either as a feminine version of the Trimurti or as consorts of a masculine Trimurti, depending on the denomination. The triad is typically personified by the Hindu goddesses Saraswati, Lakshmi and Parvati. Now, if I mispronounce that, I'm sorry. In the Chakti Dharma denomination, the feminine Tridevi goddesses are given the eminent role of creatrix or Mahasarasvati, preservatrix or Mahalakshmi, and destructix or Mahakali. To bring Catholicism into this for a second, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit could be thought of as a triple god. 
Because the Catholic Church rejects the notion that God is composed of its three persons, and that God is a genus containing the three persons. Now, the Gnostic text Trimorphic Protonoinia presents a threefold discourse of the three forms of divine thought, the Father, the Son, and the Mother, Sophia. But I think this misses the point in the fact that those three aspects are typically viewed as individual concepts or deities, not as godheads encompassing many aspects. As far as the triple god goes in traditional Wicca, the horn god and the goddess are seen as equal and opposite in gender polarity. However, in some of the newer traditions of Wicca, and especially those influenced by feminist ideology, there is more emphasis on the goddess, and consequently the symbolism of the horn god is less developed than that of the goddess. Some sects give a full triple aspect to the horn god, for example, the youth or warrior, the father, and the sage. Sometimes the horn god is distinguished by splitting the god binarily into aspects, like the oak king and the holly king, each governing one half of the year will. And in some, he is just the horn god, below the goddess. The concept of the horn god is that he is an aging and dying god. He is born in winter, impregnates the goddess, and then dies during the autumn and winter months. Then he is reborn by the goddess at the winter solstice, which is very similar to most sun gods like Horus or Heru in Egyptian mythology and Nibiru in the Enuma Elish of Babylonian mythology. Some Wiccans regard the horn god as dying at Lamas, which is August 1st, also known as Lunaza, which is the first harvest Sabbath or holy day. Others may see him dying at Mabin, the autumnal equinox, or the second harvest festival. Still, other Wiccans conceive of the horn god dying on October 31st, which is Samhain, or Halloween. This is typically due to the fact that harvest time or end of autumn differs by the geographical location followers are practicing at. The god is then reborn on the winter solstice known as Yule around December 21st. The same time Arthur Pendragon is symbolically reborn according to Welsh mythology. According to the research our team has done before, the winter solstice is the oldest seasonal festival of humankind, second maybe to the summer solstice. Sets of threes serve as a common motif across Wicca. One portrayal of this in some covens is how they view karma, which is very different from the Eastern philosophical concept of karma, and that it is meted out within this lifetime as a reward or punishment for the choices you make now, rather than the karma your enduring spirit has accumulated through the reincarnation cycle. In Wicca, this is referred to as the threefold law, the rule of three, the law of three, etc. The belief is positive actions bring back beneficial energy three times over. And negative actions bring back harmful energy three times over. So karma? It's their version of karma, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But but not the like Eastern concept of karma. Okay. Yeah. yeah Eastern karma, you know, karma is a bitch. Basically, it's like in Eastern karma, you carry it over to your next life. So if you were to punch Dave in the face right now. I would never. You would not get the karma back until your next life. Yeah. 
Now, this isn't a new idea. Uh, the physics concept described in Sir Isaac Newton's Third Law of Motion... When one body exerts a force on a second body, the second body simultaneously exerts a force equal in magnitude and opposite in direction on the first body. This basic law of physics is usually stated today as... For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. Or like we tell our toddler all the time, you get what you get and you don't throw a fit. <laughs> There's a Wiccan read with many variations of ye harm none, do what ye will. One thing of note is that this quote-unquote karmic energy is not meted out by some deity like in most Western belief systems. Instead, it's meted out by a universal energy like found in most Eastern belief systems. And unlike in most magical systems, terms like black magic and white magic are split along the lines of positive or beneficial material magic and negative or detrimental material magic, like in witchcraft, santeria, or voodoo. Now is also a good time to bring up that not all Wiccans practice magic, but most partake in ceremonial ritual on or around specific holy days, which they call Sabbaths. These come from the eightfold wheel year calendar created by Gerald Gardner and Ross Nichols. I'll get back to that calendar later. Outside of duotheism, some covens of Wicca have beliefs that range from polytheism to pantheism, animism, and even monism. I even came across one coven in my research that is focused on goddess monotheism. Yes. That is... One of the things that has always like drawn me to Wicca, the flexibility, I would say, within Wicca, to where there's different sects of Wicca that believe different things. But then again, as a solo practitioner, you can do whatever you want. Um, but if you, you know, if you're trying to find out where you fit within Wicca, here are some of the different little sects of Wicca, kind of the denominations, you know, like with Christianity, you've got the Catholics, the Protestants, the Baptists, the, you know, Mormon, you know, like all the different. Why'd you yeah. point at me? <laughs> I don't know. I didn't really point. <laughs> I just put my arm up. Um, I'm talking with my hands so the listeners can see me. <laughs> ah. <laughs> Sign language. <laughs> Um, but this is just kind of to give different ideas of some of the baseline Wiccan religions. Uh, first, we start with Alexandrian tradition. Now, the Alexandrian tradition is more of a, um, would you say, like a secretive religion? There's not a sect of it. Yeah. Um, it's a lot harder to find information on the Alexandrian tradition. Um, but it was founded in England during the 1960s by Alex Sanders, who referred to himself as the king of, the, of his witches. Um, the rit rituals are said to be a modified Gardarian witchcraft. Um, from what I understand with Alexandrian, you kind of have to find it or be invited into it. It's very closed off. It's not a very open sect of Wicca. Yeah, it's an esoteric order. Yeah. Um, then you have the British traditional witch, which is a mixture of Celtic and Gardarian beliefs. Most famous organizations... At this time in the International Red Garter, um, British traditional move, mostly come from within the Ferris studies. 
they're very structured or they too are fairly structured in their beliefs and trained through a degree process. So kind of like, um, with Thelema and all that, you know, you have a first degree, witch, second degree, witch, so on and so forth. Then you have the Celtic Wicca. This is a use of Celtic and Druidic, Druidic, Druidic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is a use of Celtic, Celtic and Druidic, uh, pantheon, Mixed with a little of the ritual Gardarian. Um, It's heavily stressing the elements of nature and the ancient ones. And they have vast knowledge and respect for healing and magical uh, qualities of plants, stones, flowers, trees, elemental spirits, and the little people, gnomes, and fae. So they're going to be your... They're going to be the Mm -hmm. ones that are going to probably have a big garden. And they're going to be the ones that are, you know, have the healing. um, Um, To take it back to our witchcraft episode, that'd be like green witches. Yeah, there we go. Fairy witches. And, oh, there was another one, too. Uh, That's not important. Then there's the, I'm going to say this one wrong, and I apologize. Uh, Caldoni tradition, formerly known as the Hecatine tradition. Uh, this denomination of the craft is Scottish in origin and still preserves the unique uh, festivals of the Scots. Oh, very cool. Then there is ceremonial witchcraft. Followers of this tradition use a great deal of ceremonial magic in their practices. Detailed rituals, flavors of Egyptian magic are sometimes a favorite, um, or they use the Kabbalistic magic. Okay, so it's kind of like uh, more along the magic of uh, the Golden Dawn. Yeah. Then you have the Dianic tradition. Uh, first uh, pinpointed by Margaret Murray, which I think we're going to talk about Margaret Murray a little bit mm-hmm. later on. Um, in 1921, in the witch cult in Western Europe, this term appears to include a mixture of various traditions. Their prime focus in recent years, however, has been on the goddess and they have been pegged the feminist of um, the the craft. I know a few uh, Dianic Wiccans where it's basically the goddess takes favor over the god in those religions. And there's a lot of what go you know girl power in those right those right. covens. Um, then there's the eclectic witch. Look at any personal there. Look at any personal column of the craft-oriented newsletter or journal that you will see in this catchphrase or catch-all phrase. Basically, this indicates that the individual does not follow any particular tradition, um, denomination, sect, or magical practice. They learn and study from magical systems and apply themselves uh, and apply to themselves what they appear works best. So if I were to become a Wiccan today, I would probably be more of an eclectic witch because that's kind of how my spiritual path takes me is it takes a little bit of everything and puts it together. Then there's the Gardnerian witch. Um, organized by Gerald Garner in, the ni- in England in the 1950s. Just why is this fellow so darn important? Impertinent. Impertinent. Um, Gerald was one of the few people to determine that the old religion not die that he took the risk of publicizing it through the media under all the hype. I truly believe his, he understood that the young needed the craft as much as the craft needed the new generation to survive. 
Now, I got most of that information from To Ride a Silver Broomstick by Silver Ravenwolf. And I've got a few of Silver Ravenwolf's books. Um, if you want to dig into Wicca, I recommend her or um, Scott Cunningham. Those are two really good sources just to kind of sink your toe into it a little bit, learn a little bit. Um, toe? Huh? Sink your toe. Dave's going to get into it a little bit more, but Margaret Murray is actually who deemed that pagan is, or that Wicca was part of the ancient pagan rituals. And it was even in the encyclopedia for many years. And we'll get into that a little bit more. Um, In later dates, it's kind of deemed that that might not be true. Um, But we will talk about that here in just a little bit. So it's not necessarily that it isn't true. It's really, it just can't be proven or disproven. Yeah. I mean, a scientist could say there's a 10th planet and he can't prove it, but nobody else can disprove him. So it's kind of like, yeah, maybe there is. I say there's, we don't even know if there's nine planets half the time. So. <laughs> <laughs> now you're throwing a 10th one in on us. So Gerald Gardner was born in 1884 and spent most of his life in Malaysia until he retired in 1936. Upon his permanent return to England, him and his wife Donna found a flat in London. They joined a nudist club in Finchley, North London. In 1938, during the outbreak of war, they left London for the countryside, purchasing a home at Highcliffe in the new forest area of Hampshire. This is where Gardner came in contact with the Rosicrucian Order Crotonia Fellowship and the Rosicrucian Theater near Christ Church. This is also where he most likely met his fellow coven members. In 1939, at the age of 55, Gardner claimed he was initiated into the coven of the old religion called the New Forest Coven. In The Meaning of Witchcraft, published in 1959, Gardner wrote, I realized that I had stumbled upon something interesting, but I was half initiated before the word Wicca, which they used hit me like a thunderbolt, and I knew where I was and that the old religion still existed. And so I found myself in the circle, and there took the unusual oath of secrecy, which bound me not to reveal certain things. In Gardner's publication of High Magic's Aid in 1949, and Witchcraft Today in 1954, the word Wicca is not even used. His own derivation for the word is, As the, the Dane and Saxon invaders of England had no witches of their own. They had no special name for them. However, they made one up from wig and idol and lair, learning wiggler, which they shortened into Wicca. It is a curious fact that when the witches became English-speaking, they adopted their Saxon name, Wicca. Doreen Valiente did not have an entry for Wicca, but when discussing witchcraft in an ABC of witchcraft past and present, she mentioned a Saxon derivation of the word Wicca, or Wicca with an E. Later in The Rebirth of Witchcraft, published in 1989, she rejected this Saxon theory in favor of Professor Russell's derivation from the Indo-European word Wick, which relates to things connected to magic and religion. Wiccans tend to trace their origins back to ancient paganism and many of them believe there is an unbroken line to the modern day. 
the Egyptologist, archaeologist, anthropologist, and folklorist Margaret Murray had a theory about this, which not only occultists but scholars actually accepted. To boil it down to its basic point, the witches executed during the witchcraft trials were actually real practitioners of the ancient pagan ways. In fact, the entry in the Encyclopedia Britannica about witchcraft was based upon her theory until 1969, mostly because it couldn't be disproven. But it also couldn't be proven. A variety of scholars across Europe and North America in the 1970s, such as Alan McFarlane, Eric Metalfort, William Monter, Gerhard Schorman, and Bent R. Carlu, all published in-depth studies of the archival records from the witch trials, concluding that those tried for witchcraft were not practitioners of a surviving pre-Christian religion, rather the victims of false accusations, which led to false confessions brought on by coercion and torture. Despite that, Margaret Murray still remains a source of inspiration. While it, may, while it might not be true that Wicca has revived ancient paganism as it was for our ancestors, it is also not true that Wicca made up ancient paganism and that our ancestors never practice it. Instead, it's a morphing of these two concepts where the essence of ancient pagan practices is made relevant within the modern Wicca practice. The age of a tradition has no bearing on its relevance, unless, of course, you're only relating the information to historical accuracy, which, let's be honest, changes drastically each time an archaeological site is unearthed. Oh yeah, definitely. Science in general changes drastic drastically over just a couple of year period. Mm-hmm. So. so Gardner based his initial vision of Wicca off a mix between Margaret Murray's basic theory and more stuff we'll get into in a sec. In 1939, he claimed he was initiated into the New Forest Coven, a coven of witches practicing Wicca, or the quote-unquote old religion. There is also a story that Aleister Crowley had been initiated into a coven of witches decades earlier, but Crowley refused to join Gardner. His reasoning centered around he didn't want to be bossed around by a bunch of women. And that sounds about like sounds Crowley. Sounds like Crowley, for sure. <laughs> stories are stories, but Gardner did know Crowley and was initiated by him into his OTO branch, Mysteria Mystica Maxima, in 1946, a year before Crowley's demise. Gardner's influence by the Golden Dawn, Druidry, and Freemasonry bestowed Wicca with its heavy ceremonial magical approach. High, magic aid, High Magic's Aid, Gardner's 1949 publication, has very strong Solomonic leanings, but also combines more natural forms of magic. Gardner says that, Magical rituals are authentic, partly from the key of Solomon, Samuel McGregor M- Mather's translation, and partly from magical MSS in my possession. Mathers. <laughs> Gardner. Mathers. <laughs> Gardner did indeed have a high number of manuscripts. There is also a tale that Gardner paid Crowley 300 pounds to write his Book of Shadows. While it is very clear that Gardner borrowed from Crowley's writings, we'll dig into that in a bit, 
I think the entire work is not in Crowley's style. Now, Gardner's claim that Crowley was initiated into a witch's coven in 1900 is rejected by most researchers. And I, I kind of fall in line with that because there was very little Crowley didn't write about. Yeah. And there would have been at least some mention of it somewhere. Yeah, one yeah. of his journals or something. Mm-hmm. Gardner, just like Crowley and many other occultists, was a self-mythologist and a tailor of tales. Therefore, there is a lot to unpack, and most of it cannot be proven or disproven, so we will do what we do best and just tell what information we found. Then let you decide. So Gardner not only drew inspiration from Margaret Murley, Murley, Gardner not only drew inspiration from Margaret Murray and Aleister Crowley's Book of the Law, Book of the Law, Book of the Law, (laughs) but on Robert Graves' The White Goddess, Charles Leland, Aradia, or The Gospel of the Witches, and collaborated with his fellow Druid, Ross Nichols. Both were in the Druid circle of the Universal Bond. Gardner also had a large collection of unpublished esoteric manuscripts that he used extensively. He was a very well-read man with wide-ranging interest. In the Bibliography of the Meaning of Witchcraft, published in 1959, Gardner includes Magic and Theory and Practice and the Equinox of the Gods by Aleister Crowley, The Mystical Kabbalah by Dion Fortune, The Gosha, The White Goddess by Graves, Lady Charlotte Guest's translation of the Mabinogian English Folklore by Christina Hole, The Kabbalah Unveiled and the Abramelin by Samuel McGregor Mathers. Mathers. Both of Margaret Murray's books on witchcraft, The Witch Cult in Western Europe, and The God of the Witches. Charles Godfrey Leland's Gypsy Sorcery and Aradia, Gospel of the Witches, and a myriad of classical text from Plato up to Bede. Gardner was who introduced the goddess into the Bricket Wood Coven, which was at first subservient and second to the Horn God, an inversion of modern Wicca practice, which now puts the goddess first or the two at the same level. He did, however, give the high priestess more power within the coven, and in the rituals she was essential. Gardner, probably inspired by Margaret Murray, speculated that the new forest coven was derived from a matriarchal Stone Age culture carried on from ancient times. Early in his practice, his high priestess was Doreen Valiente in the Bricket Wood Coven. Doreen Valiente, after her initiation in 1953, helped Gardner to produce or adapt many important scriptural texts for Wicca, such as the Witch's Rune and the Charge of the Goddess. She noticed Gardner placed a lot of Aleister Crowley's practices into Wicca and in his Book of Shadows. Gardner explained that this was because the rituals he received from his new forest coven were fragmentary, and in order to make them workable, he had to supplement them with other material. In Witchcraft Today, published in 1954, Gardner wrote, The people who certainly would have had the knowledge and the ability to invent the Wiccan rites are the people who formed the Order of the Golden Dawn about 70 years ago. Also in Witchcraft Today, published in 1954, Gardner mentions many authors when speculating where the Wiccan rites came from. 
The only man I can think of who can have invented the rights was the late Aleister Crowley. And? The only other man I can think of who could have done it is Kipling. He also mentions that... Hargrave Jennings might have had a hand in them. And writes... Barat Sick of the Magus, circa 1800, would have had the ability to invent or resurrect the cult. To give just a few out of dozens examples of some of Crowley's influence, which should be somewhat familiar to modern-day Wiccans, even after Valiente distanced Crowley's influence from Wicca. In chapter 1, verse 21 of the Book of the Law, Book of the Law, Book of the Law, it is written, With the God and the Adore, I am nothing. They do not see me. They are as upon the earth. I am heaven, and there is no other God than me and my Lord Hadet. In chapter 1, verse 62 of the Book of the Law, Book of the Law, Book of the Law, it is written, At all my meetings with you shall the priestess say, and her eyes shall burn with desire as she stands bare and rejoicing in my secret temple. To me, to me, calling forth the flame of the hearts of all her love chant. In chapter 1, verse 58 of the Book of the Law, Book of the Law, Book of the Law, <laughs> it is written, I give unimaginable joys on earth, certainly not faith. While in life, upon death, peace, unutterably rest, ecstasy, nor do I demand aught in sacrifice. In chapter 2, verse 6 of the Book of the Law, Book of the Law, Book of the Law, it is written, I am the flame that burns every heart of man, and in the core of every star, I am a life, and the giver of life. Yet therefore is the knowledge of me the knowledge of death. In chapter 2, verse 20 of the Book of the Law, Book of the Law, Book of the Law, it is written, Beauty and strength, leaping laughter and delicious languor, force and fire are of us. In chapter 2, verse 35 of the Book of the Law, Book of the Law, Book of the Law, it is written, let the rituals be rightly performed with joy and beauty. Crowley's Gnostical Mass was also immensely influential to Gardner. The method of casting the circle, the visualization of the circle, and the pentagrams at the quarters is based upon the standard Golden Dawn pentagram ritual. Both the concept of and word watchtowers are from the Enochian system of magic passed to Wicca via the Golden Dawn. Although I'd like to make it very clear that their use within Wicca bears no relation to the use within Anakia. The only similarity is in the name. Also, the Gardnerian pinnacle is not the six-inch disc which rests in the north of the altar of the Golden Dawn, but it is instead a wider disc which rests in the center of the altar, similar to the Anakian, quote, sill of truth. Unquote. The Kabbalistic cross itself is even used in the first degree initiation ceremony of Wicca. Thelemites make use of the sign of Osiris, which is simply put a version of the sign of Osiris slain.
The elements and colors generally attributed to the quarters are those of the Golden Dawn. The weapons and their attributions are a combination of Golden Dawn, Crowley, and the Key of Solomon. The principles behind the consecration of wine and cakes can be found in Chapter 20 of Magic and Theory and Practice, which deals with the Eucharist. The consecration of wine and cakes is ever-present in Gardner's Book of Shadows, being performed either before or after every single rite of worship or magic. It represents the body and blood of the Lord, being blessed by the power of the Lady from whence He springs, and consumed by the participants of the rite. Its purpose is to realize the single highest mystery of the Wiccan faith, as Crowley put it in Magic and Theory and Practice. God and Goddess manifest in flesh. Now, I do want to say that Gardner's recipe for the cakes is very different from Crowley's. Feces, <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyone? Uh, who are the poo-poo platter? And blood and semen and secretions. Okay. The third degree initiation ceremony in Gardnerian Wicca, which features the Great Rite, is derived almost completely from Crowley's Gnostic Mass. They share the enthronement of the priestess upon the altar, the consecration of cakes and wine. One invocation is word for word. On page 52, footnote 1 of The Witch's Bible, this invocation can be found in Crowley's Magic and Theory and Practice, Liber VX, Section 3, The Ceremony of the Opening of the Veil. This invocation, in the Wiccan Great Rite, involves the removal of a white veil from the body of the priestess who lays in the center of the circle. The invocation, in both Crowley's Gnostic Mass and Gardner's Great Rite, is spoken by the priest as follows. A circle of stars, whereof our father is by the younger brother, marvel beyond imagination, soul of infinite space, before whom time is ashamed, the mind bewildered, and the understanding dark. Not unto thee, May we attain unless thine image be love. Therefore, by seed and root, and stem and bud, and leaf and flower, and fruit do we invoke thee. O queen of space, O jewel of light, continuous one of the heavens, let it be ever thus, that men speak not of thee as one, but as none. And let them not speak of thee at all, since thou art continuous. We'll get back to some more Crowley influence later. Freemasonry also had a tremendous influence upon Wicca. Gardner was a Mason. He was also a friend of J.S.M. Ward, a publisher on many books about Masonry. So with the sparse rituals he received from his coven, he included these concepts and phrases from Freemasonry... To complete them, the three degrees, the craft, so mote it be, 
the challenge, properly prepared, the first degree oath, only in part, presentation of the working tools at first degree. At least there were no eighth degree opuses. No, Gardner was, <laughs> in, in the OTO, Gardner only made it to seventh degree, as, as far as I could find. He wasn't really into sex magic at all. Now, let's look at the Leviter Vestlis, which I couldn't translate in classical Latin, but I found it was a common phrase in the medieval church Latin, meaning lifting the veil. While we go through, I will provide the source of the material, and if it's not almost word for word, I will say Gardner's words. Gardner intended this version to be a theological statement justifying the Gardnerian sequence of initiations, similar to the charge found in Freemasonry, where the charge is a set of instructions read to a candidate standing in a temple. The charge of the goddess was intended to be read immediately before initiation. Let's begin. Listen to the words of the great mother, who of old was also called among men Artemis, Astarte, Dion, Molusine, Aphrodite, Caradwin, Diana, Aranahod, Brid, and many other names. At mine altars the youth of Lacedaemon and Sparta made due sacrifice. The next part, I will read Gardner's words, and someone else will read the words of Charlie Godfrey Leland from Aradia, Gospel of the Witches. Whenever ye had need of anything, once in the month, and better it be, when the moon is full, ye shall assemble in some secret place and adore the spirit of me who am queen of all witcheries and magics. There ye shall assemble, ye who are fain to learn all sorcery, ye yet not won its deeper secrets. To these will I teach things that are not yet unknown. And ye shall be free from slavery, and a sign that ye be really free. Ye shall be naked in your rights, both men and women, and ye shall dance, sing, feast, make music, and love, all in my praise. The rest of this comes from Aleister Crowley's writings, such as The Law of Liberty, The Book of the Law, Book of the Law, Book of the Law, <laughs> The Gnostic Mass Liber Cordis, Sintesorimpete, I put one too many vowels Your in Latin it. is really good. Um, the Gnostic Mass Liber Cordis, Sintesorimpete, Astarte vel Liber Bereli, or the equinox. Again, I will read Gardner's words, and Chad will read the words of Alistair Crowley. There is a secret door that I have made to establish the way to taste even on earth the elixir of immortality. Say let ecstasy be mine and joy on earth even to me, to me. For I am a gracious goddess. I give unimaginable joy on earth, certainly not faith, while in life, and upon death, peace unutterably, rest and ecstasy, nor do I demand art and sacrifice. Hear ye the words of the star goddess. I love you. I yearn for you. 
pale or purple, veiled or voluptuous. I who am all pleasure and purple and drunkenness of the innermost senses desire you. Put on the wings, arouse the coiled splendor within you. Come unto me. Four. I am the flame that burns in the heart of every man and the core of every star. Let it be. Your inmost divine self who art lost in the constant rapture of infinite joy. Let the ritual be rightly performed with joy and beauty. Remember that all acts of love and pleasure are my rituals. So let there be beauty and strength, leaping laughter, force and fire by within you. And if thou sayest, I have journeyed unto thee, and it availed me not. Whether shalt thou say, I called upon thee, and I waited patiently, and, lo, thou waste with me from the beginning. For thee that ever desired me shall ever attain me, even to the end of all desire. I think we've covered enough. There's a lot more influence out there. Eopan. All right, so the eightfold calendar used by Wiccans, some Druids, and most Neo-Pagans was crafted by Gardner and Ross Nichols. They began with the sacred fourfold calendar of the Druid Revival, which followed the sun and earth dance through the solstices and the equinox. They are starting with the summer solstice, Alban Harun, Alban Alud, Alban Arthuan, and Alban Eiler. Then Gardner found references through Irish and Scottish sources of a four-fold calendar, which days were between the four solar event calendar, adding Samhain, Imolc, Beltane, and Lunaza. This calendar caught on rapidly. Eventually, the Albans were renamed to the Norse festivals of Yule, Oster, Letha, and Mabin to further them from their Druid revival source. No trace of a ritual calendar based on these eight festivals, and only these eight, appears anywhere before Gardner and Nichols publicize their vision. Some traditionalists criticize this calendar because it has no particular historical pedigree. But the criticism misses the point, that it does have value, because it works. Uh. Now, Amy, would uh, you looked into more of these in the way the Wiccans view them, right? Correct. Okay. So, which one are you going to start with? We will start with Yule, because Yule is the first holiday that falls after the Wiccan New Year, and the Wiccan New Year is Samhain. Okay. So, we start with Yule, or the winter solstice. Yule is the shortest day of the year, of course, the longest night. This is usually December 20th or 21st. Yuletide lasts from December 20th through December 31st. It begins on Mother's Night and ends 12 days later on Yule Night, hence the 12 days of Christmas. In Pertigwikta, I probably said that totally wrong, uh, Yule falls on December 22nd and is called Fjölfjönin. In the Seldonian tradition, this is called Alvin Arthen, and it is not considered the fire festival where the waxing sun overcomes the waning sun. It is 
in some traditions, it is a time when the Holly King, representing the death aspect of the god, is overcome by the Oak King, who embodies the rebirth of the god and sometimes referred to the divine child. Since this is the solar festival, it is celebrated by fire and the use of the Yule Log. The colors of the season, red and green, are of original pagan descent. The act of cutting and decorating Yule trees in exchanging of gifts is also a pagan-derived. Wreaths of holly and fancy cookies and breads are part of our tradition, as well as food is prepared specially for the after-dinner Yule celebration when the tree is lighted and the Yule log is burned. A portion of the Yule log is saved to be used for lighting next year's log, and a piece is kept throughout the year to protect the home. Bayberry candles are also burned to ensure the wealth and happiness throughout the following year. They can be placed in the dining table at sunset or burned until they go out by themselves. Another pair can be set upon the mantle and lit at the beginning of the Yule ceremony. The reindeer stag is also a reminder of the horned god. So if you find yourself trying to choose a card for both Christian and pagan friends, choose a nature scene and include a stag. An easy way to not offend anyone and you will find that many traditions, tra- many traditional Christmas decorations have some type of pagan ancestry or significance that can be added to your Yule holiday. Candlemas. This is the next one. Also referred to as Imbolc, which is the Celtic. February yep. 1st in Caledonian. All right. So Imbolc and Candlemas fall around February 1st, February 2nd. This is from the to ride a silver broomstick. So I'm going to go into a little story here. In October, our family goes to the country market where we choose pumpkins for Samhain. We also purchase three ears of dried corn in different colors, each color representing the stages of the goddess, or the stage of the goddess, maiden, matron, and crone. The corn is stored in our magical cabinet and tell candle mass, where the three ears are tied together with spring-colored ribbons and used in a candle mass ceremony. Hanging the corn outside of the house for wealth and protection until the day after the fall equinox. Then we bury it in the garden. An easy way to remember craft holidays is to associate them with the season. For instance, Candlemas, Ostra, and Beltane are the three spring festivals. Candlemas welcomes the change of from old to new. Oostra invites the fertility energy in uh, if you took fertility energy of the earth to awaken and Beltane represents the fertility of love and love energy awakening in humans. Count me stupid, but I think I, but it took me a while to figure out that the six of the holidays were related to groups of threes. Again, we get back to the groups of threes. Lavender and white candles can be burned in honor of the holiday. This is a good time to work in the house, changing tablecloths, curtains, room painting, wallpapering, and fixing fixture, or fixing furniture. Candlemas is one of those holidays that creeps up on you as you're finally breathing a sigh of relief from the steady roll of celebrations from October through December. The Candlemas Sabbath marks the time to welcome spring. This festival is for fertility and to celebrate things that are yet to be born, just barely waking under winter's cold shroud. This is also a good time to look over your magical cabinet to determine what you are low on and what you may need for the coming months. Next, we have Ostra. In the Caldoni tradition, this holiday is known as Albin Eiler and represents the warrior aspect of the god. The Sabbath occurs in mid-March when the nights and days are of equal length. 
This is also the spring equinox or the viol- the veral equinox. Equinox. In this celebration of balance, not really winter, but not yet spring, the festival is considered one of fertility and the second of the trinity of spring celebrations. Seeds are blessed for future planting. Eggs are colored, placed on an altar as, mag- uh, as magical talisman. talisman? Uh, the familiar Easter bunny is a pagan, der- is a pagan derivative as, bas- as are baskets of flowers. The colors are light green, lemon yellow, and pale pink are traditional for this holiday. This is also a time to treat yourself to a new broom if you are a woman and a staff if you are a man. Both must ritually be consecrated. The broom is used to sweep magic circle clean, sweep a magic circle clean, and is given a name if, as if you would m- name a familiar. A naming ceremony can also be included in the in your Ostra festivities. Twisted twisted bread and sweet cakes are prepared and served at dusk, or better yet, prepare a, prepare a family breast breakfast. <laughs> That coincides with the sunrise of the day. Family breast, huh? <laughs> Children, come, su- <laughs> come suckle at thy tits. <laughs> and then we have Beltane, also known as May Day. May Day is celebrated on the first day of May. While Beltane is recognized on May 5th, most celebrations mean the same, mean the same thing. Beltane is the last of the three spring fertility festivals. People, plants, and animals prepare to, for the warm months ahead. This is the time for love, union, and of course, the maypole. I always tie, a, tie this particular Sabbath to children and fairies. It is the time for joining two halves to make a whole. The third entity. Ribbons of bright blue, lavender, warm pink, lemon yellow and white are a nice representation of the season. But the traditional colors for May Day are red, white, red and white, representing the blood that flows from the woman when, she, when her purity is taken. Pick a particular tree in your yard and adorn it with ribbons and bows. This particular holiday expresses the divine union of the Lord and the Lady. House decorations on this day can include large bowls of floating flowers and white floating candles. Baskets of fresh flowers picked moments before dawn can be hung on the front door. The mantle can be laden with greens and flowers. Flower petals can be strewn about the circle and later swept into a pile and distributed around the perimeter of the house for protection. Next, we have the summer solstice, also known as Midsummer Night Celebration. This is the longest day of the year. To me, this holiday represents the Sun King in all his glory, a celebration of passion and success. Some of the most powerful magic I have ever accomplished has been on this holiday. It is great for business, for, it is great for business needs or situations where power of a male energy is needed. Sunflowers provide you with you provide you have planted them in the house in early spring and put them out in the first after the first frost. And any other flower of red, maize, yellow, or gold are excellent altar decorations. A wreath can be made for your door with red feathers for sexuality or yellow feathers for prosperity. Intertwined or or braided with ivy. Altar candles could be gold and red. Money tree plants 
have been harvested. Money tree plants can be harvested and strung above the mantle for monetary wealth and or tied to a bunch of green ribbon, provided there had been an early planting season. If not, just wait until mid-July for harvest. Midsummer Night Eve is also a time to commune with the fields and forest spirits and the fairies. Lamas, also called Lunazam. Lamas is a celebrated on Lamas is celebrated on August second, second, where Lunaza, the Celtic festival to honor the sun god, is held on the seventh. Both holidays represent the same idea. This Sabbath represents the beginning of the harvest festival, and rests on the early grain harvest as well as those fruits and vegetables that had already been taken, or that are ready to be taken. Bread is traditionally baked for this holiday, and the altar decoration are decorated with first first fruits of the golden labor of golden labor. Canning goes into full swing, and magical cabinets are stocked with herbs before the onset of fall. Herbs for magical use should be harvested this day. You may wish to empower some of them in your ritual. Most of the flowers are gone. However, there are still some varieties available. Altar decorate decorations with pots of yellow and gold cock combs is truly arresting as the tassel of the plant resembles the flame. This is also a time to prepare your house for fall season by replacing tablecloths, curtains, rugs, etc. Then we have the autumn equinox, also referred to as Mabin. The Kaldani festival celebrates the Lord of Mysteries. This is the second harvest festival and is associated with taking of corn and other foods that are to be harvested at this time. Cornbread cakes and cider are an excellent addition to the festivities. The frost will hit soon, so the last of the herbs and other plants you wish to dry for winter should be harvested now. Depending on when the leaves turn in your area, you may wish to paraffin them and add them to your house decorations. Dip the leaves quickly in melted paraffin and then put them on wax paper. When the leaves dry, you can put them in a huge decorative jar with a sigil of protection carved lightly into some or all of the leaves. Colors for candles should be brown, orange, green, or sorry, brown, orange, gold, or red. Altar cloths can be made of material with a fall design. River and stream stones gathered over the summer can be empowered for various purposes. Then we have my favorite holiday, Halloween, also known as Samhain. This holiday is considered the witch's new year, representing one full turn of the seasonal year. This is the last of the three harvest Sabbaths. Halloween is celebrated on October 31st. Samhain, recognized as, Samhain is recognized as November 7th, All Hallows' Eve, and Martimus on November 11th. All festivals stand for the same purpose. I'll not kid you, Halloween is my favorite Sabbath. Mine too. Celebrations to honor the dead are gone are are done at this ritual, along with speaking to those who have passed over. Divination is highlighted, uh, heightened on this night. It is said that on this night, the veil between the worlds is the weakest. Jack Lennon, Gourd, Cider, and other flare or other fairs of the season can be used in, in the ritual. A family celebration. Black candles are used to ward off negativity. I start preparing for Samhain in September. I start in July. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I hand make all the children's costumes and also decorations to be hung in the house. I begin putting the decorations out faithfully on the 1st of October, August. 
Um, these are the <laughs> <laughs> I might jump the gun a bit. There are witches plastered all over our, the front inside of our house. The outside, I hang windsock that I've made for protection, depicting the Halloween scene. I hang a pentacle wreath above my wall altar, decorating with ravens, little brooms, orange feathers, and ribbons. Pots of large golden yellow mums are placed about the house, and the smell and some of the rooms are prepared for celebration if necessary. I buy my new house broom now. It is always black, close to Samhain. I tape the I tape a balloon on the top of the stick. And er, on the top and stick a proverbial witch hat atop it and set it on my front stoop. I give this witch a name and ask her to protect the house during the community mischief night. At dinner on so on, our family sets an empty place for those who have de- departed who are dear to us. Since the passing of another family member last year, we have begun to set separate tables for them. And they were crowding out the hungry living tummies at the main table. But those are your your main sabbats, and then there's also esbits. Esbits are going to be celebrated the full moon and the new moon, and each month has a full moon and a new moon. Some months have two, um, but then each moon has its own name for each month, and those are just extra days the witches use to to consecrate items or to works ritual things like that. Now, I don't know if this is right, but you do certain magical rites during the waning moon and certain during the waxing moon? Yes. Well, you mean the different moons bring out different aspects. So you would do certain rituals on a full moon that you wouldn't do on a new moon mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. Yeah, because I read that it had something to do with when you're trying to invoke, you do it during the waning moon and when you're trying to banish you do it during the waxing moon but i don't know that could have just been the way somebody did it yeah i don't think there's a right or a wrong way particularly i mean that makes sense it's all about the intent that you put into it because the waxing moon you you start think banishing of hairs or banishing of demons Mm -hmm. makes sense i mean i usually put my crystals and stones out on full moons although this year they were sitting on my desk and i was on vacation at Gerald Gardner's The Brick at Wood Coven, the high priestess Doreen Valiente made an effort to distance the movement from Aleister Crowley's Band of Occultism by rewriting much of the Book of Shadows. She also wasn't very happy with Gardner's hunger for publicity and the two new coven members named Jack Bracelin and Dionys, Jack's girlfriend. Gardner then published a new set of rules for the coven that limited the powers of the high priestess. Oh, no, he didn't. She responded by leaving and splintering the movement. Get it? In short, Gardner didn't make up all of Wicca from his creativity, nor was it dictated to him by a discarnate being like a god, a goddess, a mahatma, a holy guardian angel, an elemental, or an astral hobo. Instead, I see clear connections he borrowed from various occult and esoteric teachings to craft an individual belief system, one where the practitioner can adopt or reject belief as they will, to fulfill their own spiritual need, something Gardner probably adopted from the Druid Revival. 
Then Gardner shared his coven's practices with the rest of the world. The movement itself splintered and continues to splinter because that is what it is intended to do in order to keep itself free of the blindfold of dogma. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, Dave. You did a lot of research. Thank you, Amy. Thank you, Amy. You also did some research. I read. (laughs) But Dave, I learned more than... Well, actually, I learned a lot of shit whenever you do research. I, I learned a lot myself. Well, I think I'm the only one here that really knew anything about Wicca before yeah, we started it. But yeah. did you learn anything? Oh, I did. Definitely. Um, I really didn't know a whole lot about the history of Wicca. I didn't really know much about Garner, Gardner and, you know, Murray and all that stuff. Um, in my digging into Wicca that started when I was like 17, um, I really was drawn to the traditions of it and the teachings of it. Um, the threefold law and the the connection with nature that it came with and using herbs and things like that to heal. I never really got much into the ritual aspect of Wicca. Um, I think I was a little too immature at the time to really take it on. It was more like I wanted to be like the craft. You know, I I... I dallied in it, but I didn't really get big into the ritual. Like, I was one of those teenagers who was like, I'm going to cast this love spell, and I'm going to make this boy fall in love with me, and we're going to have lots of babies, and yeah, that was me. Like, I didn't really, I, although I was drawn to the teachings of it, I was more like, I wanted the magic. And guess what? When you just want the magic, it doesn't work. And it wasn't until I got older and started getting reading about it later on that I started to understand a lot more of it and why things didn't work for me then. But like it, if there are was a religion out there that I wanted to associate myself with, this is probably it. Um, this is I heard one one guy say. There was nothing bad he could say about Wicca because Wicca is the only religion that hasn't killed people in the name of the religion. You know what I mean? Like it, that that goes against the number one principle: do as thy will and harm none. And that even goes for yourself. Like if you're doing something that's harmful to yourself, because they're really big on your body's a temple type situation. So if you're doing something that hurts yourself, drinking, smoking, things like that, that is going to come back to you. You know, that still falls into the threefold law because you are causing harm to yourself. And that is against the the mantra. All right. So, Chad, you looked into a little bit of coven stuff and different ways the witches practice. Yeah, it was a little. I looked a little bit more into the modern day Wiccan, uh, Wiccan covens and stuff. Um, so let's go over what I saw. And I got most of this from WiccanLiving.com where you can... Learn more about modern day Wicca and kind of they do have some things with helping you find covens and circles and stuff. Very cool. The word coven originally comes from the Latin word for come together and it was used in the Middle Ages to describe the gatherings of all kinds. Covens became particularly associated with witches starting in the 1600s and especially in early to mid 20th century as the interest in reviving the old religion was gathering steam. But what is a coven? The traditional notion of a coven is a 13-member group of witches 
who meet in secret to worship their deities and work magic. In the early forms of Wicca, this group included a high priestess and high priest, who represented the goddess and the god. There are still many traditional Wiccan covens around today who can trace their initiatory lineage back to the original covens of Gerald Gardner or Alex Sanders. Many other covens, however, may be more eclectic in their practices, borrowing from a number of traditions and adopting more egalitarian rather than hierarchical leadership structures. Regardless of tradition, Wiccan covens will hold a formal ritual initiation for new members who will spend considerable time studying preparation before undergoing initiation. Many of these follow traditional degree systems, which offer opportunities for more advanced study once a person is initiated. The first degree is obtained upon initial, initial initiation, and after further study and practice, one can move up move on to the second degree and then the third. The specific requirements for each degree will depend on the tradition one is following. A typical Wiccan coven needs to observe Sabbaths, espits, and may also gather more informally in between these occasions. If a coven is looking to add new members, they will want to spend time with the potential initiate as well. Coven members often form form very close bonds with each other and may even consider the coven to be like a family. As with any group, the overall energy will change with the addition of new people. So all involved should take their time deciding whether a given person would be a good fit, including the person seeking to join. Again, there's a big difference between this situation and joining another type of religious organization. Your presence or absence in a church makes less difference to the whole group than it does at a Sabbath or Esbit ritual. So you really need to be willing to make the dedicated commitment to reliably participate. If you're brand new to Wicca, however, it is unlikely that you'll join a coven right away. Most covens require at least a year and a day of study in Wicca, and possibly longer, before you can be eligible for initiation. This is a good thing, since it means you'll be prepared to participate in group ritual, and it keeps you from making such an important decision too soon. Now, Wiccan circles. If a coven membership seems too big of a step, but you'd still like to meet and socialize with other Wiccans in your community, consider finding an informal Wiccan circle, or start one of your own. A circle is a more informal group whose members meet to discuss and learn about the craft, and may experiment with the eclectic blend of practices in terms of ritual and magic. A circle may or may not involve a regular Sabbath or Esbit schedule. But if these holidays are observed, attendance is generally not mandatory, depending on the overall preference of the group. There may be many members, some whom drop in and out as it suits them, or just a few regular involved friends. The structure of the circle is generally loose and doesn't require official initiation or involve established hierarchy. Beginners are often welcome, and you're likely to find a wide range of knowledge and experience levels in a circle where everyone contributes to their own perspective. Flying solo or solitary practitioners. If you simply can't find any like-minded individuals in your area, don't be concerned. There are many online communities for Wiccans and other witches to explore. And there are also many benefits to solitary practice. In fact, the vast majority of Wiccans in the 21st century are solitary practitioners. 
getting to know your spiritual and magical aspects of the universe on your own can be very rewarding. If you're certain you want to work with others, however, you can call on the goddess and the god to draw you to the right people. Then be patient, trust divine timing, and your coven or circle will eventually appear on your path. A lot of times you'll be in... It's kind of... To join a coven kind of reminds me of like trying to join the uh, Masons. You know, you can get invited to a meeting or something like that, and you kind of go and sit and just watch and see what everybody's doing, a little socialize. And then you may get asked back, you may not, you know. Right, uh, right. And stuff like that. Basically being a, a hangaround. Yeah, you're kind of just kind of watching and seeing how everything works and kind of get to know it before you can actually uh, participate. I'd be a solitary practitioner solely because I'm a very introverted person <laughs> yeah. and I don't like to meet a whole lot if of anything, people. If anything, I would be like a circle Wiccan where I just have a, you know, it's a small group of, you know, three or four people getting together to do stuff. Um, cause that's about all I can do. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, uh, I try to look into them like famous Wiccans and stuff. And most of the ones were like the ones you've already explained, talked about and stuff. So, there haven't been any famous modern day Wiccans really, um, besides some authors and stuff who talk about Wiccan, but or Wicca. Yeah, I mean, one of the first things I remember reading was in Scott Cunningham's book, um, Wicca for the Solitary Practitioner, and in it, it talks about how Wicca is one of those things that they don't go out and recruit. So you're not. It's not like you're not going to have somebody knock on your door like, have you heard about your Lord and Savior? The horned, the horned God. God and the triple goddess. <laughs> it's not going to happen. I mean, we actually tried to get a Wiccan on here to interview, and it was really hard to find a Wiccan who would even really interview with us. I do have one that I will eventually interview and probably put onto the Patreon when I do the interview with him. Um, but because of that, usually people find Wicca. And that's how you, like, that's the way he, he, he puts it is, you usually know if Wick is right for you because you find it. And when you're reading about it, it's like, oh, well, that works. Well, that works. And that's how it was for me. I'd sit there and I'd read it. And I'm like, man, I really dig a lot of the stuff that they're talking about here. And so I, I, I learned a lot about it. I just never really got into any of the rituals, rituals or covens or any of that stuff. Um. And I still incorporate a lot of Wiccan traditions in my life because some of it I found so profane. But another thing I love about Wicca is the fact that it doesn't, there's no particular dogma. So you basically, you use the gods that you want or you need. Like, well, this is one of the variations because there's a lot of variations of it. But let's say you're wanting to cast a, or do a ritual for, um, basically, you know, sometimes you need a little Jesus Christ in your life. Sometimes you need a little of the satanic magistry. You know, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Although there is no Satan in the craft. That's one thing a lot of people think Wicca is Satanism and is a satanic practice, but there is absolutely no Satan in Wicca because, you know, there's no devil. But, um, you know, sometimes you need a little... You need a little Zeus in your life. You know, who knows? People usually attribute that to it because they attribute Aleister Crowley to Satanism. And that's really kind of the only connection. But Crowley wasn't a Satanist. so Yeah. So I like Wicca. I've never met a Wiccan that I didn't like. 
most Wiccans are some of the nicest people you'll ever meet. Mm-hmm. And I you probably never even know they're a Wiccan. And that's another thing, too, because I'm really anti-pushing a religion on somebody. Like, frustrates me to no end when people try to force religion on you. And you meet a Wiccan, first of all, you will never know they're a Wiccan unless you bring it up. Unless you bring up the conversation, they're never going to say, well, I'm a practicing witch, you know? <laughs> so you were saying is they're not vegans or uh, CrossFitters who just can't shut up about what they do. Exactly, okay. yeah. Or Scientologists. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You, you will never know. It's one of those things that Wicca is just such a peaceful religion mm-hmm. in general that I just, I, I really like Wicca. And, but yeah, I could be a Wiccan if I wanted to. I just, I don't want to. I don't want to, I don't want to be in a religion. I like to be the religion of Amy. (laughs) (laughs) Because I'm, my religious beliefs are too fluidic. Like it changes so frequently. At one point she was Pleiadiac. (laughs) I'm still Pleiadiac. That will always be. Pleiadiac is a, it is a path and a religion. It's um, a fluid path <laughs> religion. It comes and goes. Yeah. <laughs> Just like diarrhea. <laughs> um a lot of a lot of druids are Wiccan. Yeah. A it, lot of it, Wiccans are Druid. I'll, yeah, it I'll goes hand in hand. hand. So Eli, you have brought in the pulp, pop, the poop the poop the culture. Poop culture. <laughs> You've brought in the pop culture. And as Dave says, anytime there's something occult, pop culture is usually not nice to it. No. Oh so no. Let's see how pop culture is to the Wicca. All right, I'm going to kind of give it a little bit of a cliff note type situation real quick of basically what we just talked about. Um, But just to give a refresher. From tarot readings to top shop and rugged crystals at Urban Outfitters, witchcraft is a having moment. But for millions of pagans across the world, witchcraft is more than a passing fad. Wiccans, along with Druids, make up the UK's long and rich history of paganism, while Druidism dates back to the Iron Age. Wicca was developed by Gerard Garner and Doreen Valiente in the early 20th century in England and borrows from former as well as other pagan traditions known as the Old Ways. Official figures suggested over 60,000 people in the UK identify as pagan. Such religions celebrate what they view as a divinity of the natural world, the seasons and sacred femininity, and are generally polytheistic. Some Wiccans believe in the craft and the manipulation of supernatural forces. So now let's go to the actual pop culture of everything. So among among the few movie slash shows I'll be talking about, I want to take a second and say I know a few people that practice Wiccan. They're some of the nicest, caring people I know. It was kind of hard for me to cover pop culture because so many movies and shows depict witches and or magic in the worst ways. But you can learn about the brighter side of these just by conversing with anyone who does practice and or look up Wiccan websites. Yeah. First show I'm going to be talking about is The Good Witch. It, it follows a woman and her daughter in a small Colorado town whom she provides natural medicine for the populace, a doctor moves into town to take over the town's physi- uh, as a town's physician. Needless to say, there are some differences between the two. This particular episode, sorry, this particular show, it's on Netflix. If you guys want to check it out, it doesn't show any kind of the dark side of like how basically Hollywood pr- would predict Wiccan or 
magic, if you will. Um, this is more of a she uses nature as a healing force for people and kind of gives it more of a like a brighter view of like how magic can be used in good ways. Because um, like with any other situation, there's always people who want to do harm, but there's always people that want to do good. And like we said before, uh, Wiccan is not really a... Uh, it, <laughs> It states in their laws. Um, it's not really a harmful force of magic or a harmful force in general. As far as the show goes, from one broomstick to ten, I'd give it a total of nine. Nice. Uh, it's just, it's really good for the kiddos. It's really good for the family. It's just a really good show in general. It's very, very held up well. Um, and there's a lot of just honestly backing. Um, but moving on to the second one. You also have The Craft. Now, I know for a fact that everyone has at least heard of this. Not a lot of people have gone off and watched it. Love the movie. Yeah, I love the freaking movie, too. Um, but a lot of people that I've talked to, like, I mean, I brought up quotes to people that are millennial age between 25 and 21 in probably the last year, and people don't even get the quotes. People don't get the and I'm just like, dude, watch the movie because <laughs> it's, it's so good. Um, that being said, it follows four teens as they grow into their power. Spoiler alert. Three of them turn on the other and get their asses totally kicked. Yes. <laughs> but all jokes aside, a lot of the websites, a lot of the websites that I saw that reviewed the movie, uh, these are both movie like AMD websites and then also actual Wiccan websites who actually did a one through 25, uh, I actually talked to Chad a little bit about it because some of them didn't make sense, but had nothing to say bad about the craft. Um, most people believe that as far as the practices through the beginning and the middle of the movie were very accurate. Uh, it's still one of my favorite movies. Um, and that that in general, like just the, the early practices, you know, what is it? Uh, uh, light as a feather, stiff as a board. Um, not saying that, I mean, I've, I've heard a lot of people do that before, um, whether they're just like trying to mimic the movie um, or if your name's Amy. Um, you know, it's a, it's a very good slumber party trick, if you will. Um, but honestly, like there's more to it than just that. There's invoking, uh, I forgot what God his name is, but there's invoking certain spirits and stuff like that. Um, so it, it kind of goes along with it. Um, a few others that I'd like to mention is the originals. Uh, there's not a lot of witchcraft in it, but depicting you know how they're originally created, or sorry, how the vampire vampirism um, race is actually created, and then also it feeds more into um, the covens of uh, uh, New Orleans and stuff like that. It shows how you know witchcraft is kind of like spread through. Uh, that now a lot of it is depicted in wrong ways, um, but as far as the witchcraft goes in general and the the actual um, studying and practicing of it, there's a lot of that in there. Um, it's more of a sci-fi type thriller. It's not really something I would be like, well, I want to, you know, put a. I mean, there there are such things as putting pr protections around your house. Hundred percent true. There's such thing as defending off evil spirits in your home. Hundred percent true. But you can't really put a force field on human. <laughs> oh. Yeah, this is this is not a uh, yeah one of those things. Uh, the next one we have is Bewitched. Okay, 
we've all seen some sort of Bewitched, whether it be the movies or the shows. Um, very interesting film slash show. If you, I mean, the the film was made out with, um, oh, what's his name? Oh God, I can't remember his name. You Will guys, Farrell. Will Ferrell. <laughs> thank you. Um, absolutely brought the film together as long uh, as well as all the other actors that were involved. Um, it was easy for me to watch, but it also gave me the interest of going back and watching the original shows. Um, and I can see how infectious it was with the populace and stuff like that, because it wasn't like a situation where, um, it, you know, like I said, it wasn't another dark situation. Um, and that's, and that's kind of what you touched on, Amy, is the fact that when you start talking about any kind of magic, whether it be Wiccan or whether it be, you know, um, you start touching into some of the occults and stuff like that. People immediately think that it's dark. Yeah. And from my from my standpoint, I have learned a lot from what we talked about today. Um, and like we talked about in the voodoo episode, just to touch on it, if you're wondering how it works, look it up. Yeah. Get your facts. Yeah. And I say I hate to say it, get your facts from the internet, but there are so many websites. If you're not wanting to go out and check out a book from your local library. There's so many websites that you can touch on that'll yeah. literally give you the information of the true side. One thing that I have to say that like Barnes and Noble does well is they have a huge stock of Wiccan material. They may not have a big stock in anything else esoteric or occult, but aliens and Wicca are two things that they have a bunch of there. Yeah. And I mean, that's where I got the to ride a silver broomstick. I also have a a flame it's I have some flame red flame red, yellow flame I don't know some flame by Raven Weather Raven Silver Raven Wolf there we go and then I've got her book of shadows I've got a bunch of Scott Cunningham books some of those we've gotten at like uh, occult stores but that's another thing you go to any occult store they're going to have books and they're going to have beginners guides they're going to you know and most occult bookstores or, or most occult stores usually have a Wiccan. Mm -hmm. So you can even go in there and talk to a Wiccan practitioner. Um, so, I mean, there's so many pagans around you that you have no clue. Like I shared something on our Facebook group about the Wiccan pride festival. That's going to be in August, I think here in Oklahoma city. I mean, that's a whole festival that's put together every year just for Wiccans to come together and celebrate a unity. Um, just recently, in the past, what, 10, 15 years, even the army has recognized Wicca as a religion and will put it on soldiers' headstones. Like, that's new. Yeah. And it's finally getting the recognition it needs. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, all the way back... What? We go back to, like, the Salem Witch Trials... Like Dave was talking about with Maureen Moore, Murray, you know, all those people who were killed in the Salem witch trials, they probably were not pay actually practicing Wiccans. She she um, was referring to the English witch trials. Okay. Which and went from, uh, I think, 1563 all the way up until, I mean, heck, the law itself wasn't even repealed until 1951. Yeah. So. So... But I can tell you that even if they were real witches per se, they weren't doing things to harm people. You oh, know, no. like I'm <laughs> like 
people are so quick to judge because they're scared of it. And you know, that was one of the original meanings of our podcast was to get stuff out there. So people wouldn't be scared of things anymore. And knowledge is power. So the more you learn about it, the better, the better you understand it and the less scary it is. Wicca is not a scary religion. Wicca is a very peaceful religion and leave them alone. It, it says a lot about somebody's ego and paranoia if they think people are hexing them with magic because they're not. <laughs> but, but I saw her chanting while talking to her cat. <laughs> no, she was just speaking gibberish to her cat. Also, that brings into another fact, uh, Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Yeah. <laughs> That was another one. Not the new one. <laughs> no, no. The old one. With Melissa Joan Hart. Yeah. Yep. And then you also have... Yeah, the uh, new one's a satanic, Sabrina. Yeah. Then you also have the last and not least, Practical Magic. I love that movie, too. That movie is so damn good. And like, okay, oh so... My oh, my God. Oh, my God. Is exactly right. Like I, like I said... That movie gives me feel-goods. Oh, I, yeah. I love that movie so much. <laughs> like I said... There are plenty of shows and movies out there that actually give witchcraft a brighter light. Kind of gives you more of an honest truth than a Hollywoodized, you know, occult session. Now, if you're into the freaky, deaky, and stuff like that, go ahead and watch your horror flicks about witchcraft. But 100%, you look into it, none of the facts, none of the stuff that they say, claim or say is going to be real. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's what I'm going to leave you with. That's all I have to say about it. A Wiccan won't hex you. A Wiccan won't. They'll probably hug you, but yeah. they won't. Like I, like I said, I, I know two. I know two. One of which I have a very close relationship with, and she is one of the nicest fucking people I've ever met in my life. She has never, like, she gets pissed off like everybody else does about stupid shit that happens, but as far as it comes down to, she's she's just the loveliest fucking person. Uh, anytime I've ever felt down or anytime I'm having a bad day, she pulls me aside. She talks to me. She does what kind-hearted people do. Um, and that is, I mean, honestly, that is my opinion of Wicca is they are full of kind people. Because one person, yes, one person can ruin and give you a certain kind of opinion of a religion. But... I like I said, the only only opinion I have over this is that they are just some of the most true-hearted, kind people I've ever met. Yep. So. Yes, and so I think that's going to wrap up our Wicca episode. Unless anybody else has anything to add, if you're interested in finding out more about Wicca, you can email us, and we can get you some lists of books. Or if you want to go online and search it, you can do that. Oh, uh, I could recommend a podcast. Yeah. It's called The Fool's Guide to the Occult. It's uh, by a couple of people who practice uh, Wicca and other magic. Um, they do have a Facebook group that's just fellow travelers. He, uh, They just release episodes as they can. There's different people on each one. It's kind of a uh, thing they just put together, you know, and it pretty much starts from the basic, like like what if you want to get into it, you know, how do, how do you start your journal? How do you start... Uh, doing your your meditations and things, and they're they're very thorough on it and very down to earth. And that's another reason why I'm not good at being Wiccan because I'm really bad about just writing a journal. 
<laughs> like that's part of it. Is I'm bad at meditating. So. Like dream um, journals and things like that. And yeah, I'm like, eh, I'll write it down later and then I forget all about it. For years, people did blogs. Yeah. Yeah, it used to be you'd go online and search Wicca stuff and it would be like Angel Fire wepi- ep- or episode. Angel, fi- Angel Fire and what, uh, oh, what was Yahoo's version? Uh, GeoCities websites, just Wiccan blogs. Yeah. Basically. Wiccan websites, people who just would share their information that they'd learned. And when a lot of the books that I have were written, it was before that. And so in the books, it has lists of like occult stores to write to to get product because it was a lot harder back then. Now you can go to Walmart and pretty much buy everything you need to do a ritual. Um, But, you know, back Mm -hmm. in the 60s and 70s, it was a little bit more difficult to locate things. Um, I saw a funny meme the other day. It said that everybody's responding to this this quarantine and this COVID-19 stuff and like clearing out grocery stores. And then they put up a picture of the of the spices <laughs> and, and it was something to the effect of, uh, you know, pagans and occultists aren't too concerned or else this, this part would be bare. <laughs> you know, we've upped some of our uh, garlic intake around our house because mm-hmm. garlic's a really good antiviral, antibacterial spice and herb. But we've used a lot of, like I use oregano when I clean because oregano, oregano oil, because oregano oil kills bacteria and things like that. There's a lot of good properties in on earth. And I think mm-hmm. it's one of those things the the pagans, the druids and the 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 wiccans have known this for so long. People are just now starting to experience it with like all the essential oil. Like every time I get on Facebook, somebody new is selling some kind of essential oil. Well, witches have been making this stuff for years. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Herbalists it's nothing new. <laughs> people are just now starting to see some of the benefits. Not everything works for everybody, but people are starting to see the benefits of a lot of herbal medicines and things. So if you're practicing that already, you kind of got the jump start on it. Mm-hmm. All right. Now I think that's going to do it for our Wiccan episode. Anybody else have anything else? All right. So. Go to our Facebook page and like our group. It's a closed group. We will accept everyone. Um, it's at UMP Normalcy. Or you can also just search Unearthing Paranormalcy. Find it both ways. I would love it if you guys would go to our Facebook page or iTunes or wherever you get your podcast from and leave us a review. Um, we'll read them on air. Even if they're negative, we'll read them on air. We might make fun of you later on, but that's neither here nor there. Um, <laughs> if you don't like it, you're not listening anyway, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, if you don't like us, if you like us, share us with your friends. If you don't like us, share us with those that you don't like, because maybe they'll like us. Um, you can always email us at umpnormalcy at gmail.com, and our website, of course, is umpnormalcy.com. And also, don't forget to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash umpnormalcy. Uh, check out our Unearthing Evidence podcast that we have on there specifically for our Patreons. Um, once we get some Patreons on there, we'll get a little bit more active. We're not very active on right now because we don't have any Patreons. So <laughs> once we get some, we'll get more active. But we do have the the Unearthing Paranormalcy podcast on there. And I think we're wanting to start a group for that as well. That'll be a Patreon-only group for people to join so that you have to be a Patreon to join the group. 
but when, we'll get that started too. And that was mostly just kind of we made the decision that we don't want our other group to be flooded with uh, like true crime. crime stuff and like crime scene photos yeah. and like <laughs> autopsy reports. And, you know. Yeah, we'll keep that separate. But we thank you guys so much for listening. You are amazing and we love you so much. And until next time, keep digging.